We are in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter one. Um, sometimes I think that we'll use terms or we'll use words, we'll use phrases that we don't know as well as we think we know, that we're parodying something that we've heard. So I have a son, Myron. He is six years old. A couple of months ago, we bought him this little 50cc motorcycle. It's automatic, you just give it gas and it goes, right? So he begins to ride it and he gains more and more confidence. And what do boys do when they get more confident on a motorcycle? They go faster and faster. And so he started going much faster. And about a month ago, my wife comes down, I'm watching him, he's riding in the field, and now he has an audience. Now, what do you boys do that are confident when an audience is around? They show off, all right? So he's not really a show off, but he got a little bit of like, hmm. So he ends up getting whiskey throttle. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's something that happens on a motorcycle. And he wrecked and landed on his back. Um, I was thankful he was not hurt. He keeps informing me, Dad, I was hurt. Like, well, you weren't hospital hurt though, right? So for a month, he just does not ride his bike. Well, a week ago, we go down the river for Bella, my daughter's birthday, and we're going down the river, we're rafting to Illinois, and I have Myron on the tube with me, and we're talking about all kinds of stuff. And so I asked him, I said, bro, like, you're not riding your motorcycle anymore. This is what he said to me. He said, Dad, I've been real busy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what? What? I'm like, you're six years old, man. What have you been busy on? He's like, oh, well, Dad, I, I had some friends over. I had some chores to do. It's about five minutes a day. And uh, I was playing Legos with Elijah. And he looked at me straight in the eye. Dad, I've been super busy. <laughs> now, why did he use that phrase? Because he's heard me say it. He's heard his mom say it. His siblings say it. Probably not true for him. You're six, bro. You don't know busy yet, right? But he's heard it enough that he's like, okay, this is what you say. When you don't want to do something, then you say, I'm super busy. I can't do that, right? So he's using this phrase, but I'm not sure he knows what it actually means. I think there are phrases biblically that we will use, but I'm not sure that all of us, myself included, know the implications of these phrases. So one of them, it's really, really important phrase, it's this, and I've seen like, multiple times now on Facebook, there'll be this comment. And the comment will be this. SMH. Do you guys know what SMH means? I had no idea. I'm like, hmm? What does hmm mean? So I had to Google it. It's shaking my head. It'll be SMH, no gospel. I'm like, what? Because I will have just watched that video or I will have done the video. And I'm like, what? They're like Myron right now. They've defined the gospel, I think, within parameters that are not biblical, okay? So we're gonna talk about something, we're gonna read a whole bunch, and then we're gonna talk about something of first importance, the gospel, okay? So I'm gonna read a whole bunch. First Peter, chapter one, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, what's he talking about? 
big topic. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. In inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to Peter, salvation, verse 10, talks a bunch, ends, verse 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The Greek right there, it's the Greek word that normally we get the gospel. It's this word right here, euangelisten, and it's the verbal form of the gospel. It's the preached action of declaring the gospel to people. So what has he just said? He said, talk to you about salvation. Let's go through all this. And what I just said to you is the gospel, the good news. Now, too often, I think we use the term gospel and we use it very narrowly. We use it to describe the events of Good Friday, that Jesus died for our sins. And that's totally the gospel, but that's not it. So you gotta go back and you gotta look at this word that's used all over in the New Testament and say, what is actually the gospel? Read Acts 14. It's the first message, Paul, the first recorded message of Paul to Gentiles. And he talks about all this kind of stuff and he says, it's the gospel, 
and the events of Good Friday and the resurrection are not there. So Paul's saying, this gospel, it's bigger. It's in fact so big, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Micah, Nahum, these guys, brilliant men, intently studied it. That's how big it was. Like this is a massive subject. Angels, verse 12 tells us. Look intently into the gospel and angels are brilliant beings because this gospel is big. So I'm gonna say pretty quickly through this text, show, hey, here's what Peter, the apostle Peter says is the good news. And yes, it includes the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, but oh my goodness, every time you try to narrow down the gospel and make it smaller, the Bible just explodes it. It gets bigger and more wonderful and brilliant. And that's everything with God, right? It's not just the plan of salvation, as important that it, as it is, the gospel is bigger, it's brilliant, okay? So let's look, four things about the gospel. Number one, what's the good news? Number one, grace, look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's something unique about Christianity. We're supposed to fill our minds. We're supposed to think we're supposed to have prepared minds, sober minds, thoughtful minds. That's unique for Christianity. You look at cults, cults don't want you to think. Cults just want you to obey. In fact, you know a cult when if you question it, they say, no, just obey. Fundamentalist religion, they don't want you to think, they just want you to believe. Check your mind at the door, but not think. Eastern religions, it's not Fill your mind with thoughts. It's empty your mind. Contemplate your navel. Be empty. Get to a state of nirvana, nothingness. That's Eastern. Americanism is escape. Don't use your mind. Escape. Go on vacation. Watch the game. Don't think deeply. But the Bible over and over and over is use your brain. Think well. Fill your mind. In fact, this little phrase in the ESV, it says, preparing your minds for action. I have a little note on there. Literally, it's gird the loins of your mind up. It's a word picture. We probably don't get it today, but I've had the chance to go five times to India. And I've been to a bunch of countries with mission work and business when I was in the business world. Been to about 30 countries. India is the most diverse, different country I've ever been to. So first of all, like I took my wife over there and there are no public displays of affection there. You could not tell what man is married to what woman there because there's just zero. You don't do that. But it's no problem for me to be walking down the road with a group of believers and for an Indian man to come up beside me and just grab my hand and for us to be walking down the road holding hands. That's no problem, right? So I learned very quickly in India to walk with my hands in my pockets. Just, nah, uh-uh. It may be hot, but I don't care, right? The second thing that you notice right away is this. The men, they wear a lungi. And a lungi is just a fancy word for a dress, right? 
It's just a big piece of material that you just start wrapping around yourself and then you tuck it in. So it's a lungi. So very often this would happen to me. I would be walking down the streets of India hand in hand with a man in a dress, right? Just like, okay, I don't have to explain that picture to my son. <laughs> okay, so I would teach these pastors conferences when I'd be there. And out of respect for the culture, I would wear a lungi. So no problem. So I'd put this lungi on and then there'd be like intermissions or somebody else teaching for a while. So I'd go downstairs and I'd get a cup of coffee or something to eat. And what I realized very quickly was this. I look at the time is you cannot move quickly in a lungi. Like there are long, you just go like this, like, oh my goodness, I am not going to make it there in time. So what you had to do was this. You had to reach down, grab the bottom of your lungi and then tuck it in. So it became a mini skirt and you could move in a mini skirt. You could get, you saw a lot of my upper thigh which is a bad thing, but you could move. That's this word picture. Tuck it in, get ready, move your mind. That's what it's asking. We might say today, modern translation, roll up your sleeves. Get busy. Get to work for what? To set your hope fully. Set your hope fully on grace. What is the modern mind full of? What are we thinking about all the time now? Like what fills our minds? Stress, anxiety, worry, sin, lust, junk, money, economy, politics, news, banking, recreation, right? Very few of us have set our minds fully to be filled with God's grace. And it's a battle. That's why Peter uses really strong words here. You gotta gird up your mind. You gotta get ready. You gotta roll up your sleeves. This is going to take effort. It's gonna take effort, right? And sometimes we don't like effort. We like the results, but we don't like the effort. So it's almost like Peter's like our coach. People hire personal trainers now, right? It'd be like you hiring a personal trainer and you telling your personal trainer this, hey, I want a six pack of abs, right? I'm well on my way because I have an ab right now. I just need five more. So can you help me? And here's the deal though, coach. I want a six pack of abs, but I do not want to do sit-ups or cardio. What's your personal trainer going to say to you? Get an ab tattoo. That's what you can have. It'll look great from the front, but not the side. He's just saying, no way, dude, you gotta roll up your sleeves. You gotta get busy. You gotta put some effort in. If you're going to do this, it's going to take training and it's going to take effort. For you and me, if we're gonna obey this, it means in the morning I gotta wake up and I make a decision what I'm gonna fill my mind with. What's the first thing I'm gonna fill my mind with? You know what? There's a new term for what's happening in America right now with all the bad news, it's called doom surfing. Has anybody heard of that? Or doom scrolling? It's now a psychological issue that psychiatrists are finding in people. They come in, they can't sleep, they're paralyzed, they're anxious, they're worried about everything. And what they say they do is this. They wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is they open their news feed and write, read all the bad news. And then before they go to bed, guess what they do? Reread all the same bad news at a different source, just hours and hours called doom scrolling, and they can't get over it. 
And what it's doing is it's making them paralyzed and unable to enjoy life. Everything is fearful and worrisome. You and I as believers, we're not supposed to doom scroll or doom surf. We're supposed to get into God's word and say, I'm gonna set my mind fully on his grace. I'm gonna fill up so I have hope. Well, what do we fill up our mind with? Let me give you a couple verses. On grace, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. What did that just tell you about God? You cannot exhaust his love. He doesn't get exasperated with you. He doesn't get fed up with you. He doesn't say, that's it, I'm tired of you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Guess what? You can't exhaust his mercies because they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This morning when you got up, your heavenly father said, you got a billion more mercies, try to use them up today. And that happens every single morning. You fill your mind up with that. Or Romans, this is just insane to me, Romans 5.20. But where sin increased, God's wrath increased, God's judgment came down, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's an insane verse. Fill your mind up with that. The inexhaustible grace of your heavenly father. Or how about this one, Matthew 18. This is a conversation Jesus has with Peter. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Incalculable forgiveness over and over and over and over and over and over. Again, you fill your mind with that. Or finally, Romans 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, when you were your worst, when you hated God, when you're against his kingdom, when you're sinning magnificently, Christ died for us. Now, if he died for you when you're still in your sin, don't you know he's not gonna give up on you now? Right? This is what you fill your mind up with. Set your mind fully on the grace that we brought to you. That gives you hope. So the good news, according to the Apostle Peter, number one is this grace, this incredible thing that's written throughout Scripture from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, grace. Number two, the good news is you got a new dad. So we read 14 through 18, but if you reread it, here's what you see. As obedient children, what does every, what does every child have? A dad, right? So this is family talk. It says, he is who has called you holy, since it is written, you shall be holy. Um, you shall call on him, verse 17, as your father, verse 18, knowing that, this is my favorite, that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, okay? You got a new dad and you also had an old dad. And from our old dads, we inherit certain kinds of things. 
So how much of what you do in life, if you really thought about it, tracks back to the way that you mo your mom did things or your dad did things, right? That gets hyper exposed when you first get married. You're like, oh my goodness, you do things way weird. No, this is the way, you, I'm, you're supposed to do things, you do things way weird, right? It's that forefather mentality that we inherit this stuff from. I'll give you an example of it. So a bunch of years ago, um, I had this little motorcycle. It was a 1975 TS 185 Suzuki. Uh, supposed to be a safe bike because it only did 50 miles per hour. So relatively safe. Um, I'm heading home one day, I'm riding home. And on my way home, there is a road that kind of triangles into my road. And it forms this triangle where there's a telephone pole and a mound of dirt. What do boys do with a mound of dirt? Make a jump. So it's become this little jump where boys will ride their bikes and jump on it. So I'm heading home and I don't know what time it was. It was later at night, like eight o'clock, no, six o'clock at night. And I'm riding along and there's these two boys I can kind of see ahead of me and they're jumping this jump, right? And they had jumped it and they were pulled over and they were high-fiving each other. And at the last minute, I had this crazy thought in my head. And my crazy thought was this, I'm gonna give these boys something to remember, right? So I swerve. And then I swerved back to hit the jump, and that's all good and fine. But the problem was, when I hit the jump, I was still turning. And if you know motorcycles, you wanna square up to a jump and hit it straight. So I didn't hit it quite right. I hit the jump, and I'm flying through the air sideways thinking, oh no, this is not, they will remember this moment. This is gonna be a memory for them. My front tire hits the, the gravel that had spread out on the asphalt, and it just starts to slide. And then I'm looking at this Doug fur that's coming straight for me thinking, a lot of people are gonna remember this. But God's mercies are new every morning. And my front tire just hooked up at the last minute, bike straightened up, and I just rode off. And I threw my hands in there. I was like, yeah! I look in my rear view mirror. Both boys have their hands in the air. Yeah! It was so awesome. All right, so. Last Sunday... I finally get Myron back on his motorcycle. I'm like, hey, let's go. He doesn't want to ride in the dirt. He wants to ride in the cement, the pavement. So I'm like, okay, fine. So Elijah gets out. He's on his quad. I'm on my motorcycle. Myron's on his little bike, and we're riding around. We come up to this jump. At the last second, Elijah on his quad makes the move for the jump, hits the jump, goes sideways through the air, lands on the gravel, slides, and then at the last minute hooks up. I'm like, oh my goodness. He's a little me, right? Now, why did he jump like that? Because he's related to me. <laughs> Nature or nurture, I don't know what it is, but man, it's just like a spitting image of how I have lived my life, just right there. All of us have that. We have these, first 17, inherited traits from mom, from dad. Sometimes it's addiction. Sometimes it's relational problems. You just can't figure out relationships because your relationship with your mom and dad was never good. Sometimes it's just finding an inability to build trust with people because you never could build that with your own parents. Sometimes it's self-esteem or acceptance or trust or just the list goes on and on and on. And you have these futile ways that you inherited and you're like, ah, and the seeds of some of those go all the way back to your childhood. Here's the good news. The Bible says this. You got a new dad. And your new dad, this is what your new dad says. It's verse 16. You 
shall be holy as I am holy. I'm your dad now. And since I'm holy, you're gonna inherit that from me. Not you might be, not if the cards landed just right, not if things work out, it is I'm your new dad and you shall be holy. Now, what does holiness mean? Simply put, it means you're whole. Sin and Satan, here's what they do to you. They actually decay you. They take away parts of you. They steal and they destroy who you are. Have you ever felt like in life, like there was more to you? Like there's more to me. It just feels like I'm, I'm, I'm not able to be who I'm supposed to be. Does it ever feel like you're only using 10% of your brain? Or maybe 5% of your brain? Or when you get on a motorcycle, 0% of your brain? That's a fraction. And it happens to all of us. But God says this. You, believer in my son, shall, no doubt about it, it's a promise from God, you shall be holy. If we were Pentecostal, we'd stand up and shout amen. We're Edgewater, so at least smile. Oh, that's interesting. I'll take a note on that. I'm gonna be holy. You know, God does kind of like me. I can see why he'd wanna do that for me. <laughs> you got a new dad. This is the good news. And this new dad says, you will be like me. You shall be holy. That's good news. You've got grace. You've got a new dad. Number three, you've got a powerful partnership. So look down at verse 22. This is a good underliner for some of us theologically. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth. Your obedience matters. In this process of growing and being transformed and becoming whole, your obedience matters. I'm saying this more to people. Sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small stuff. Because the little decisions that you're making right now, they are becoming who you are. It's not, well, I can just ignore the little decisions, but in the big decision, I'll kill it. Uh-uh. No way. Your little decisions are the bricks in the wall that make the bulkhead that protect you. And if you haven't put them up, you'll collapse, you'll compromise. That's what will happen. So C.S. Lewis has this line that's been quoted a lot. He says this, good and evil increase at compounding interest. That if I make a good decision today, there's like lines that go out and that good decision just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as my life goes on. Or if I sin, that sin also has those same lines that go out and affect my life. And it compounds that good or small. Like what I do, how I live matters. And maybe the best example of this is like athletes. Like athletes get this, professional athletes. Like they know it's not three hours on a Sunday or Saturday that determine whether someone wins the game, right? It's decisions that echo back years and years and years. Life is linked together like that. So one of my favorite athletes when I was growing up, I loved the San Francisco 49ers growing up. They were my team. And I love Jerry Rice, greatest receiver 
ever. And you don't even have to argue with me on it. Just hands down, greatest receiver ever. So I watched this documentary on him in the off season, like he had a renowned off season. And in his off season, he was that year tinkering with something. Should I play at 194 pounds or should I play at 196 pounds? And so he got himself to 194 pounds and he went through all these metrics to see how he was and then he gained two pounds. And then he went through the same metrics again. You're just like, that is amazing. And they were talking about, he, was, he would weigh out six ounces of blueberries to eat. Blueberries, right? You and I, we weigh out, should it be one or two pounds of M&Ms? He's weighing out blueberries. I'm like, that's a health food, man. Eat as many as you want, but not him because he knows how I live right now, what I'm doing in this off season. It's going to be the difference when I'm trying to reach over a defender and grab that ball. That's gonna be the difference. That life is linked and it matters how I live. I know this. If I'm gonna succeed at Edgewater as a preacher, as a husband to my wife, Charity, as a father to my Kids, Carissa and Bella and Gabrielle and Elijah and Myron. If I'm gonna be a good citizen of Grant's Pass, then my little decisions matter. What I choose to be entertained by, the books I choose to watch, the, the, the people I choose to hang out with, the ideas I choose to engage in, all those decisions are creating me. They have compounding interest. And I want to have a pure soul. I want a soul that's pure, and that happens by my obedience. So Paul puts it like this, Galatians 6, 7 and 8. He said, don't be deceived. Don't let some kind of idea out there deceive you, because it will. Theology sometimes, I hear it, deceives people into believing what you do does not matter. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What? Soever a man sows, every seed you're putting in the ground, every decision that you're making, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. But if you sow to the spirit, life and that everlasting. Your obedience matters. Here's the good news in that. When you become a believer, you get a brand new heart, Ezekiel 36. That your core desires, the moment you allow Jesus into your heart, they change to be godly desires. And yeah, you can get tricked by the enemy, no doubt, but if you will stop and think and pray and get counsel from other believers in the moment, you'll make godly choices because you become a different kind of person. You've been given a new spirit that God actually implants into you the power of his spirit to obey so that you're purified. And here's the best part. You have an incredible partner in this. You've got God the Father as your partner. Right, from Genesis three to Revelation 20, it says over and over, God is your partner. And when you fail, this is what God says, new mercies. And when you succeed, your heavenly Father says, good job, let's go, I've got more for you. I've got more for you. Come on, jump in, let's go. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard the wonderful things that God has in store for you. He celebrates our successes and forgives our failures. You got the best partner. That's good news. It's like this, dads. If you've had a child that, that 
born, obviously, and then hits nine, 10 months old, you expect that child to begin to walk, right? So has anyone ever done this as a dad? Looked at your nine-month-old, crossed arms, said, hey, son, listen, you gotta start walking, man. You've seen me do it for nine months. You've seen your mother do it for nine months. We can get the dog for a biscuit to walk on its back legs. What is wrong with you? Stand up and walk, son. Has anyone ever done that? No way, what do you do? What do you do the moment your son, your daughter, took two steps and then fell down? You're like, you failure? Two steps, that's it? You're a heavenly, come on. No way, what'd you do? You freaked out. Two steps. It was on TikTok and Facebook and Snapchat and whatever else, right? You're like, I can't believe it, two steps. You celebrated the steps, not the failure. That's the partner you have in God who celebrates your steps and says, I, two steps, but I fell. No, two steps, Matt. You took two steps. How are you partnering with your heavenly father? And he wants the best for you. He wants pure souls for you. It says in verse 17 that because of fear, right? Look out for fear. What, what does Peter mean by fear? It's this kind of fear that you would ever disappoint your heavenly father. I think of myself growing up, so single mom, she raised me. There were so many things I did not do because I didn't want to disappoint my mom because I loved her too much. That's the relationship we're supposed to have with our heavenly father. Man, I don't want to disappoint my dad because I love him. I love him. It changes you. Like, I, I, I have no desire to go to the bar. I would much rather be in church than to go to the bar, right? Why? Because my heart's been changed because God's been so good to me. He's transformed me. Amen. Oh, Matt, that hasn't happened for me. I'd rather be in the bar right now. Okay, one more for you then. Here's good news. And it's scripture is alive. Look at verse 23. You've been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And they quotes Old Testament passage and the word of the Lord remains forever. Often in the Bible, scripture is compared to a seed. Jesus does it in Matthew 13. Guess what a seed has in it? It has its own life. Like if you have never studied a seed, seeds are unbelievable. They have a temperature sensor. They have a moisture sensor. They have a solar sensor. They can tell when it's the right time to sprout. Right? It's got to be the right temperature. It's got to be the right moisture. It's a, all in a tiny little seed. A seed has in itself its own life. It's not, you don't have to believe, you can plant a seed and not believe it. I don't believe in you, seed. You're not going to do anything. Does that matter to the seed? No, because it has its own life to it, its own power to it. It will produce what it's supposed to produce, the seed of it. That's the Bible. It has its own power to it. And what happens with the seed? When you plant a tomato seed, what do you expect to get from that tomato seed? A bunch of tomatoes, right? Not one tomato. Like one tomato plant produces a ton of tomatoes where in August you're trying to give them away. And people are like, no, nah, I can't take anymore. I've eaten so much salsa, I can't do it, right? That's what you want. They reproduce. Makes more of itself. You know how unique that is, Really? Like we take that stuff for granted. That's unique, right? It doesn't happen in other areas. Like I have a truck 
and my wife has a sedan, we can't park them in the garage together and come back in a month and have a Mini Cooper in there, like, sweet. Right? That doesn't happen. Why? Because they don't have life in themselves. They can't reproduce. They don't have their own power. But seeds do. So the Bible is compared to a seed. It has this staying, incredible power. Like, the Bible is compared to medicine as well. When you take medicine, do you need to understand the biochemical reaction that happens for you to get better? Nope. What do you need to do? Just take it. You have to understand all the intricacies of it. You just take it, and all of a sudden, man, it does its work because it has a power in it. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says this has a power to it. Listen to these texts. I use this one all the time on young guys. Psalm 119, verse nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? Matt, I'm struggling right now. I can't do this. I can't do that. Okay? By guarding it according to your word. Or verse 11, very similar to it. I have stored up your word in my heart. Memorize scripture, put them into my heart so I might not sin against you. Or how about this one? Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever sat and read the Bible or listened to a message or heard it on the radio and it was exactly what you need to hear and it pierced you in the heart like, oh, that's the power of God's scripture. The antidote for all this craziness in our culture right now and the anxiety and the paralysis and the nuttiness is right here. It's laying on your table at home. Just saying, come on, read me. You can doom scroll if you want. Ah! Or you can set your mind fully on a hope that transforms you called the gospel. It's your choice. The good news, what's the good news? Oh, God's grace. Oh, you got a new dad. Oh, you got this brilliant partnership with the best heavenly father ever. And you've got this power source called God's word that has a life in it that when planted produces what God wants it to produce. Ah, that's good news. But maybe here's the best news of all. In verse verse 18, it says, knowing that you're ransomed What's a ransom? Right, your kid gets kidnapped and what do they want? A ransom, right? You're, you're taken by the wrong crew. You and I, listen, we belong to the kingdom of darkness. We are taken by the wrong crew and there was a ransom for us. And it says that Jesus paid it, verse 19. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So every Sunday we come to the table And we take communion, and the reason why we take communion is, number one, Jesus said to do it, but it's a whole bunch of reminders of the good news. So when Jesus originally took communion 2,000 years ago, when you broke bread with somebody, you would take that piece of bread and you would dip it into some kind of broth or sauce, and then you would eat it, and you could double dip back then. It was no problem, right? No COVID-19 worries, none of that. And so what would happen is this. They knew this was happening in ancient cultures. 
we're sharing the same stuff. And so we, we become one. So you would only invite people to your table that you're saying, you're my crew. You belong. You're on the inside. You're part of me. Because we're gonna partake and eat the same thing. So when you come to the table, it's Jesus saying, you belong. You're in. You're part of my family. In chapter two, when we'll get there, Jesus takes care of the things that belong to him. He absolutely takes care of the things that belong to him. And so Jesus today, as we take and eat of your body, you took that bread and you broke it. You said, take, eat, all of you, for this is my body. That your brokenness becomes our medicine, our healing, our ransom. That we're now adopted into a new family with a new dad. And our futile ways are being replaced with your holiness. So I pray as we eat today, for those that feel like fractions, I pray that they would hear the promise from their heavenly Father, you shall be holy. Not broken anymore, holy. Let's take and eat together. took the cup you said this is my blood shed for the remission of sin that cancer that steals away who we are and kills our identity and destroys our future and our abilities and our talents it's been put into remission so I pray for us for besetting sins, for addictions, for dependence problems, trust issues, confidence, self-esteem problems, doom surfing. I pray as we drink, I pray that you would put those things into remission and set us free. Let's drink together. So may we go from here, products of the good news, minds full of your grace, knowing you as our heavenly Father, partnering through our obedience to purity, saturated in the seed of Scripture. And I pray this in your name. Amen.